And given that I'm going to be preaching for two and a half hours, maybe. Uh, <laughs> kidding on. Praise the Lord. Uh, let's turn to Galatians chapter 3 to begin with. And I want to speak today on the subject of blessing and favour are your portion. Blessing and favour are your portion as remnant saints. And it's so vital to understand that. In fact, I'd go so far as to say you will not fully function or walk as a remnant saint unless you're walking in blessing and favour. And there's a reason for that. And the reason is very simply that we must walk in the fullness of the kingdom to really be proper remnant saints. God will have a generation in the earth that walk in the fullness of Abraham's blessing, the blessing of Abraham, and the favour that flows from it. There are a lot of aspects of the blessing of Abraham, which we don't have time to look at today, but we are going to look at some of it, the basics. Um, in Galatians chapter 3, we'll just look at some stuff in there uh, and see what it means to be blessed with Abraham. And I will say this to you, if you're not blessed with Abraham, then you need to be born again. Because uh, the saints of God, Christians, believers, are all blessed with faithful Abraham. Nobody misses that out. And if you are missing it out, then it's either a case of renewing your mind uh, to the reality of God's word, or as I said, you need to get saved. Because, well, we'll see as we go on. And, and in fact, the first verse we'll look at, we're not going to read the whole chapter, there's a lot in it. Verse 7 says, Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. So only Christians are sons of Abraham. Okay, Only believers in God are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, in fact, it's, it says only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham, which means if you're a Christian, you're a son or a daughter, of course, of Abraham. Abraham is the father of faith to those who believe. And verse 8 says, And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, and that word just simply means nations, by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So the purpose of God is to bless the nations through Abraham, or in Abraham. Okay, so this man Abraham, when he made covenant with God, God blessed him, and that meant that anybody from that point on who was in Abraham would be blessed. And of course, that blessing came through Isaac. And as we, as we go on to see, that blessing manifests itself in completion and fulfillment in Jesus. And all who are in Jesus. So if you're in Jesus, you're in Christ, you're in Abraham. And therefore, you qualify. Now, Cam has been speaking today about the land of Goshen. And this, the land of Goshen is a metaphor for all of this because God, when God uh, raised up Joseph, and we're going to look at that, to be prime minister of Egypt, they were given a parcel of land for, for Joseph's family to live in, and that became the land of Israel within Egypt, and it was called the land of Goshen. So if you were in uh, 
Israel and you were in Goshen, you were blessed. Amen. So if today, if you're in Christ, you're in Abraham, and so the Abrahamic blessing um, has been poured out upon you right now. And if you're not experiencing it, get saved. So the purpose of God is to bless the nations through Abraham. So we would say today, the purpose of God is to bless the nations through the people of God, through the Christian people. And right now, that means the remnant. Because the rest are not, uh, you know, they're not walking in it. And indeed, as we've, again, as we've been hearing in the group, God is separating the tares from the wheat, or the weeds from the wheat. So, let me just put it as simply as this. The Abrahamic blessing today is to be found in the remnant church. In the ecclesia of Philadelphia, and not the church of Sardis. Uh, go and read Revelation 3 to, to, to break that down. So, verse 9 says, Ah, uh, so then, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham, or as the King James says, blessed with faithful Abraham. If you are a faith person, hands up if you're a faith person today, then you're a blessed person. Hallelujah. Amen? <laughs> blessed with Abraham. Blessed in Abraham. Okay? So just being a believer, just being a Bible Christian, just being a remnant saint, means that you're blessed. You don't have to do anything to get blessed or to obtain the blessing or achieve the blessing. It's not a works-based blessing, but you are expected to do stuff. You're blessed and then you work from that place of blessedness. You don't work to get blessed. You work because you are blessed. Okay? So it's so important. And then, of course, we want to nip down to these important verses, which is where this is all coming from, blessed with faithful Abraham. Verse 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Now, there are truths in this book, truths about Jesus' substitutionary death for us, truths about crucifixion that um, have been known for a long time, and others that have not been known for quite so long a time or have been lost and recaptured. And uh, there are truths that are just now being released into the earth. Because if you speak to most Christians, why did Jesus die on the cross? For our sins. So that we'd be forgiven. And that's actually only part of it because it's actually for the remission of sins, which means the obliteration of all memory of sin. And all guilt and all stain and all power of sin. But it's only in recent times that the church or, or, or the world, the church in the world, has recaptured another reason why Jesus died, which was that our bodies would be healed, by whose stripes you were healed. And that's from Isaiah 53 and from 1 Peter 2.24. And in both the Old Testament verse and the New Testament verse, the word stripes is not plural. It's singular. Which means that Jesus' wounds were so, his, his body was a suppurating mass of wounds so that you couldn't distinguish between where one blow and the other or all the different blows. In other words, his whole body was a wound. Mm -hmm. 
So he, his, his body was a suppurating uh, mass of flesh and blood and gristle and so on. Okay, uh, because no doubt some of the, the whips, the, the bone and the gristle and the stones that were on, would have embedded in his flesh. So by that, we are healed. But there's a third aspect, and there are other aspects, of course, deliverance from demonic activity and stuff like that. But there's a third major component that is addressed here, and, and you just don't hear it preached. Because it's, it's a truth that's been hidden. It's a truth that's been obscured. And I'll, I'll tell you what, who obscures it. Religion obscures it. Okay, so when we preach this stuff, and it's been happening quite a lot recently, it really triggers poverty devils and it really triggers religious devils. And the two of them are best buddies, by the way. And we're seeing people manifest, we're seeing people going nuts because they don't like this truth that we're about to look at. And they don't like the reason for what we're going to look at. Or what I mean by that is they don't like the actual, the, the deeper truth of this. We're talking about kingdom wealth. I mean, you talk about kingdom wealth or prosperity, people think, oh, you know, that's just a message of greed, that's a message of covetousness, that's you wanting a big mansion, that's you wanting nice clothes, um, and that's all you care about, that's why you're mentioning it. But the reason the devils don't like it is not, because they know that somebody who's preaching the authentic message of kingdom wealth, that's not their motive. It's the real motive that they hate, which is kingdom wealth, is to deliver the poor from their poverty. Yeah. And I'm going to say this to you. I believe one of the functions of the remnant army that God is raising up in the earth, and that isn't just those guys, it's people all over the earth, will be a release of kingdom wealth and a release of the reason for it which is that people who are genuinely poor, and by the way, you can have millions and billions and be genuinely poor because poverty isn't financial. It's spiritual. But it manifests in the financial realm. But there's a lot of rich guys walking about that are poorer than church mice because they don't actually have any uh, comfort owning what they do. It torments them. Why? Because it's poverty devils that's driven them to accumulate money. And the word of God, the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. So the wealth of the wicked, and, and the Bible says that they, they're really driven to, to, to amassing it. But they're amassing it for you and me. That's why they're tormented as well. Because there's something in them tells you, you'll never be worthy of this. It, it doesn't belong to you. But it could belong to them, no problem, if they just surrendered their life to Jesus and became stewards. Uh, but a lot of them won't do that. So their money's going to end up in your bank account and mine. At the, the fall of Babylon. Oh, I wish I could preach the fall of Babylon today. Anyway, if you're a faith person, you're a blessed But Look at what it says, verse 14. Curses everyone that hangs on the tree. It says, why? Why did Jesus die on the cross? Oh, for our sins. And if you're a little bit more spiritual, Pentecostal, charismatic... And also for our, for our healing, brother, also for our healing. But look at this next bit. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the nations through Jesus Christ. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So there's something else that Jesus died for 
There's, there's the reason he was made a curse was that blessing could come. The divine exchange that took place on the cross for our spiritual death, he gave us eternal life. For our shame, he gave us his glory. For our sin and sinful condition, he gave us his righteousness. For our brokenness of body and our diseases and all of that, he gave us healing and life, Zoe life in our bodies. And for our poverty, he gave us his riches. He gave us the blessing of Abraham. And so, well, okay, I accept that. The Bible says it, Pastor, but can you explain to me uh, uh, what the blessing of Abraham is? What it, what it, how it manifests, what it actually is? We're going to do that. We're going to do that. But first of all, look at this. I want to just clarify this with you. Verse 16, he says, that Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He doesn't say, he does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. So Christ is Abraham's seed. You see, when, Jesus, when Isaac was offered on Mount Moriah, that was Abraham's seed. But that seed did not have sinless blood. So he could only be received in type. But the Bible says, see, we just read it, that the gospel was preached to Abraham and Abraham understood the gospel. Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and was glad. So Abraham saw something on Mount Moriah when he offered Isaac. In fact, he actually said before he offered Isaac, God will provide himself a lamb. Himself a lamb. See, Abraham was understanding. Why, what did Abraham understand? And how did he understand? Why, why did he understand? Because he was a covenant man. That's why God picked him. God understood or saw that this man Abraham was a man who would understand how covenant worked. And the way covenant worked was a covenant partner uh, could not ask of his other half on the covenant. Like if Michael and I made covenant just now, and we, we, we mixed our blood, we cut our wrists and we mingled our blood. We would be blood brothers, covenant brothers. So I could not ask Michael under the terms of covenant for something that I wouldn't or couldn't give him back. Does that make sense? If I said, Michael, I'm, I'm, you're my blood covenant brother, I'm going to have to use your car because I don't have mine and I need it. Uh, Michael would say, yeah, sure, that's, that's great. Okay, mind is in the garage or whatever, all that stuff. This is just a minor thing, but, but covenant was a lot more serious stuff. It involved warfare and things. But then see, six months from now, Michael says, uh, oh, Bill, I'm going to need your car because my car's going in the garage. And if I went, not a chance, I'm breaking covenant. I'm a covenant breaker, which is the worst kind of wretch and cur imaginable. And under the terms of covenant back in biblical times, Michael had every right actually to, put, to kill me. Because I'm a covenant breaker. And covenant breakers were the worst possible type of people. Now we wouldn't do it over something that trivial. But it may be wealth or it may be that I would ask Michael to give me all his sons and, uh, and, and to help me in battle. And 
But if he asked the same of me, so you, you wouldn't ask. See, covenant wasn't treated lightly because you wouldn't ask something you couldn't give in return. Because if, somebody, if you asked somebody and they wanted it back from you and you couldn't supply it or wouldn't supply it. So when God says to Abraham, give me your son, Abraham, the covenant man, understood. God must have a son. He's a covenant man. He knows the terms of covenant. God must have a son somewhere. So he understood all that. But that's a whole sermon in itself. But then when Jesus, so Isaac was given in type. But when Jesus came, Jesus was the seed of Abraham in the flesh. Wasn't he? He took upon him the flesh of Abraham. He was descended from Abraham. And so he was the seed of Abraham but he was also the seed of God, and there's two parties. So that Jesus fulfilled God's part. I'm the seed of God. I'm the son of God. I'm come to fulfill the covenant. But he was also Abraham's part as well in fulfillment because Isaac was only the type. So in the one body of Christ, the seed of Abraham and the seed of God made the covenant and fulfilled the Abrahamic covenant. And we'll look at that. Verse 17 says this. Uh, as we read on. To your seed which it was Christ. This I say that the law, which was 430 years later, the law came after the Abrahamic covenant. Yeah. Cannot annul the covenant. But look what it says. That was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. Even when God was dealing with Abraham... 430 years before Moses ever got the law on Sinai, Christ was involved in it because Isaac was but the type of Christ. So on Mount Moriah, the covenant was cut because basically what the Lord was saying was, well, I've already dealt with this from before the foundation of the world. I've already given. It will happen in the timeline of history, but you need to do this, Abraham, so that you, because you've given your son, I can then give mine wow. in the earth. Oh, mm. So it was confirmed before by God in Christ. Now, well, what's the blessing of Abraham? And how did Christ confirm it? This is what I'm going to show you. Deuteronomy chapter 8. And bear in mind, we've just read that he confirmed it, or ratified it, or established it. Okay? So let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. What's this got to do with the remnant everything? Because we're meant to walk in this, folks. If, if nobody else, if we don't walk in it, who else is going to? Exactly. It's for us. Yeah, it's for every Christian, yes. But you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff that Christians didn't walk in. And you know, you read about the early church, you read about the, the apostles of the Lamb, and all the wonderful stuff, Peter Shadow healing folks, buildings shaking, Thousands added to the church. All the great things. Miracles, miracles, miracles. But here's what they didn't walk in. The latter rain. And we're in the time of the latter rain. They wanted to live in our time. And if, if you said to them, oh, I wish I lived in your time, they'd say, are you nuts? <laughs> I'll swap. You can be an apostle. Because that latter rain time, 
Amen? Yeah, oh well, but they walked with Jesus along the shores of Galilee. Yeah, but look how messed up they were. They were always getting rebuked. You know, Jesus says, oh, ye of little faith. Who wants to, who would like the Lord to walk down here and go, oh, ye of little faith. Come on. Nobody wants that. They wanted what we're going to walk in. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18 says this. You shall remember Yahweh your God. For it is he who gives you power to get wealth. Okay, power to get wealth. He gives you power to get wealth. That he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Let me just deal with something right now. That's Old Covenant. That's Old Testament. Well, first of all, we're, we've got a better covenant, the Bible says. So we've got the upgrade on this. But here's what you have to understand. This is not about the covenant with Israel at Sinai. This is not an Old Covenant verse. The Old Covenant was made with Israel at Sinai when God put them under the law. Yeah? Because the Old Covenant is the law. The Bible identifies the Old Covenant as the law. We just read this was made 430 years before the law. Yeah? And it was confirmed by Christ. Or established by Christ. Now, let's just look at what Let's take these two verses together and see what they say. First of all, we read that it was confirmed or established or ratified in Christ. The Abrahamic covenant was. The old covenant was given later on as a, as a means of a schoolmaster under the law to Christ or to put them under uh, commandments and laws, including ceremonial ordinances, which typified uh, what was going to happen on the cross. Till the cross, they were to slaughter bulls and goats and stuff. But this is the Abrahamic covenant he's talking because he says, you shall remember the covenant. You shall remember the Lord your God, for he gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers. The fathers is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they are hundreds of years before the law. So he's saying to them that the power of God to get wealth is how God establishes the Abrahamic covenant. Yeah? That's what it says. Now let me ask you this. What does it say in Galatians chapter 3 verse 17? That it was Christ that confirmed it. Christ that established it. The Abrahamic covenant. So when you put the two things together, what does it tell us? Tell us. The power of God to get wealth is the establishing of the covenant. And then in Galatians it tells us Christ is the establishing of the covenant. Here's what it's put those things together. And here's the logic of it. Jesus Christ is God's power to get wealth. Amen. Jesus Christ is God's power to get wealth. He's the power of God unto salvation, isn't he? He's uh, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God and the righteousness of God. In other words, everything that matters of God, Jesus is that. So Jesus is your power to get wealth. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The greater one indwells you. You know, Jesus said, a greater than Solomon is here. And, and let me tell you this. He wasn't just saying, 
I'm, I'm far superior to Solomon. Jesus was wealthier than Solomon. And we can get into that, and it's a whole different message. Now, that's a message that will blow your mind. Absolutely. I mean, literally wealthier than Solomon. Uh, but anyway, we're not going to go there today. Jesus is the power of God to get well. The remnant must learn to walk in and function in the blessing of Abraham, which includes God's blessing to get well. Let's share a couple of things with you along these lines before we press on to uh, the favour part of this. Because the blessing of Abraham is ours, and the favour part of it is, is rubber meets the road. Activation of God's blessing when you walk in divine favour, then you—that's the blessing of Abraham, if you like. That's you turning the key of your souped-up car. You see, as long as it's in the garage or parked in your driveway, there's no power. No. But when you put the key in and go, "Here we go," Amen. that's the favour part. Amen. That's a. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 12. So what is this blessing? What are we talking about blessing? Yeah, God patted Abraham in the, the head and said, you're a nice guy, Abraham, I love you, you're my pal, we're going to be buddies. Is that what the blessing was? No. <laughs> now, why am I emphasising the wealth part of it? Because the blessing of Abraham, uh, the Bible says that God blessed Abraham in all things. So that was family, everything. No doubt health, no doubt everything, Yeah relationships, everything. But the reason I'm uh, emphasizing the wealth part of it is because God wants us to walk in that, number one, and number two, it annoys poverty devils. And I'm all about that. Now, I'd be flip about that, but let me just say this, poverty devils will sit for decades. And when you die, if you've got them, they'll pass on to your children. Because it's generational. Poverty devils are generational. So we want to stir them up, cast them out, so we can walk in the blessing of Abraham. Yeah, but, but God loves the poor. Yeah, that's why he doesn't want them being poor. Leave them in their poverty. Uh, Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Now let me just say, if your gospel leaves a poor man in his poverty, it ain't the gospel. The remnant must walk in this. Because... The remnant live at a time when Babylon will fall, and Babylon is a wealth transfer event. Bab the fall of Babylon doesn't mean that God snatches all the gold and silver from the mines uh, and flattens all the property and all the precious jewels, makes them vanish. No, no. It's not that they disappear. It's that they, the merchants of the earth are crying and wailing, not because that stuff disappears, but because it's not theirs anymore. And if it's not theirs, whose is it? Where it belongs in the temple. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. So which means it's yours because you're the temple. That's right. We're still around at that time, are we? Yeah. Get some bling. And I don't mean Claire's. We, we wouldn't go to Claire's. And, 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 and I don't even mean Warren James. I mean, get some proper gold and silver. Because that's where the, that's, it belongs in the temple. Now, I, 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 I'm being funny, but I'm not being funny. I'm being serious. 
the gold and the silver is made. And, and Agnes will say, tell you this. When we speak this stuff, gold and silver comes. Am I right? Amen. And, and here's another thing. Here's a wonderful thing. The Hebrew word for silver actually also means money. So you can say the money is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. I'll take it all. Silver, gold, platinum, money. And, and the reason you'll get it is not because God blesses greed, but because God knows your heart. And if, if you've got the right heart, you're not covetous. Yeah. He knows that you will be a steward of it and a distributor. Yes. Anyway, how does it start? Galatians, eh, sorry, Genesis chapter 12. The Lord had said to Abraham, get out of your country from your family, from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And that, that's all that message of alignment. Because Abraham was aligned in Ur of the Chaldees with firstly his father and secondly the financial and economic system of Babylon which is really where the Chaldees, Ur of the Chaldees was. And in those days a man was wealthy primarily through inheritance. There weren't a lot of self-made men as such because wealth was passed on through families and that was a system. So if your dad was rich you were, you were locked out, you were, you, were, you, were, you were blessed. So God said, leave that system behind. Tell land, hold on a second, Lord. You want me just to go somewhere where I don't, I'm not plugged in? I don't have a source? I'll be your source. All right, okay, here we go. Then he says, to a land that I will show you, I will make you a great nation, I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. Blessing there doesn't mean that he got a card out the globe. Or a nice wee plaque saying, oh, uh, thinking of you. Or a Helen Steiner Rice greeting card. That's not what it meant. You know, you get these wee cards, footprints and all that. There's a wee blessing for you. I just want to bless you. That's not what he meant. Blessing meant to empower, to prosper financially. That's what it meant. To put all one's resources at someone's disposal to make sure they never fail. That's what blessing meant. So it meant if Abraham was the biggest numpty in history and lost thousands of pounds every day, God would refill his bank account at the end of the night and give him more money for tomorrow. That's what blessing meant. That was the definition of blessing. You'll never fail because I'm behind you. So if uh, Alan Sugar or somebody like that walked in here tonight and says, I like the look of you. I'm going to bless you, Jane Marie. So whatever you do, uh, here's... I'll just write you checks. If you mess up, I'll just write you a bigger check. That's what blessing means. Doesn't mean patting the head, oh, I love you. You know, like we would do, oh, bless, oh, bless you. Here's a wee, here's a wee shortbread tin. Do you know what I mean? Oh, thanks, great. That's, what, that's how we see blessing, isn't it? And I know we do that, and it's nice. It's nice to do these wee things. Am I right? You know, you know what I'm talking about. The reduction. Bouquets of flowers and Morrisons. Yeah? Take the reduction sticker off. The Lord bless thee. Eight pounds. Eight pounds. Look, I spent eight pounds. Am I right? We've done that, haven't we? Yeah. And it's like 75p. Yeah? That's not what blessing meant. It meant... That somebody with, somebody with, in Abraham's case, somebody with infinite resources 
was behind Abraham. Then he says, I'll bless those who bless you, I'll curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He says, you shall be a blessing, and you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So what's God saying to Abraham? I'm going to, I'm going to make you so rich. But Abraham, you're going to enjoy it. But it's for everybody else too. Yeah. Amen. And just for you to hold on to, oh, look at me here. God's blessed me. You will be a fountain of blessing wherever you go. In fact, it'll get so every family of the earth shall be blessed eventually because of you. Isn't that wonderful? That's what wealth is for, folks. So then it says Abraham departed. And and a few verses later, Abraham goes down for a wee holiday to Egypt. And then a few verses later, which is a short span of time later, uh, Genesis chapter 13, we read it. It says Abraham went up out of Egypt. He came back from Egypt. He and his wife and all that he had and Lot with him to the south. Lot was one of the most intelligent men in history because he didn't have that relationship but he absolutely clung on to the guy who did. And folks, there's a lesson there. Hang on to the people who are blessed. Hang on to the people who know the Lord. A lot of chancers, a lot of imposters, a lot of, a lot of professors, but there's not a lot of possessors, but Abraham had the real deal and Lot saw that. And if he never did anything else, he got blessed for it. And Abraham ended up giving them the best part of the land. Then it says, Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. Short, terse to the point. God says to Abraham, come here, come with me, and I'll bless you. Which means I'll make you rich. And a few, a few short verses later, because Abraham believed him, he's very rich in the commodities of God, which is cattle. The cattle on a thousand hills are mine, the Bible says. In silver and in gold, the silver is mine, the gold is mine. So in other words, what God identified as his commodities, he gave plenty to Abraham. So much so that in modern day terms, Abraham was clearly a multi-billionaire. He had his own private army, he had masses of land, he had a whole country, truthfully. So that's great. But then just one, one more wee... So that was part of the blessing of Abraham. And you know, it's the, bit, the part the Bible emphasises. The, the wealth part. Not saying didn't have other things. But watch this. Uh, Genesis chapter 50. Because God made covenant with Abram in stages. The covenant came out in stages. It wasn't just one big dollop. In fact, he began to make covenant with Abram when he was Abram, not Abraham. And the Abraham part was when God inserted his name in the middle of Abram's name. How would you like that? Amen. So, uh, if it was can't be Kaharan, yeah, or Agnes would be Agnes. That'd be cool, wouldn't it? Because if God puts his name in the middle of yours, and a lot of us have biblical names anyway, when God's name's in it, yeah? So, I'll be B, B, how? Well, how Whatever, anyway. <laughs> but look at this. God's continuing to make covenant, and this whole, in fact, the heading here in my Bible is the covenant with Abraham. Now watch this. Genesis 15, verse 1, did I say that? Genesis 15. After these things, the word of Yahweh came to Abram. He's still Abram at this point. In a vision, in a vision, saying, don't be scared, Abram, do not be afraid. I am your shield, your exceeding or your exceedingly great reward. 
Now, I, I, I teach this a lot, and you have to get into the Hebrew because I believe the translators bottled it. The word here for exceedingly great reward, it doesn't mean, what does that mean? Can anybody tell me what that means? It's just one of those phrases, isn't it? God is our exceedingly great reward, but what does it mean? But that was the bland way of translating it. And I taught this in Bible college recently, didn't I? We've got a couple of Romanian students, and one of them says, it says this in the Romanian Bible. Am I right? Because here's what it says in the Hebrew. I am your shield, your superabounding, rapidly increasing money supply. That's what it says in Hebrew. That's what that's the Hebrew says that. And if you look up Strong's, don't take my word for it. It will say, uh, it says salary or wages. In fact, that young Romanian guy said in the Romanian Bible, it says, I am your wages, which means money supply. So what he's saying to Abraham is this, I'm your source. All the money you ever need, I will supply. I'll be the source of it. And folks, if God isn't saying that to you and I tonight, today, as remnant saints, then what is he saying? Because if we're facing a mark of the beast, Revelation 13 scenario, spirit, whatever, you will not buy and sell without a Babylonian endorsement, and if eventually that becomes something in your wrist or your forehead or right now uh, your re-vaccine passport on your phone or whatever it is, if it's not God saying, I'll look after you, you'll not have to take the mark, you'll not have to bow the knee to bail, you'll not have to plug into the matrix. If he's not saying that to us tonight, he said to Abraham, come out of the matrix and I will be your source. You'll have so much gold and silver and cattle. So he's given him a business because he's all of a sudden in the farming business. He's given him capital, which is the gold, and the silver was probably what he traded with. So this guy is automatically funded for life just because he went down. By the way, isn't it good? He went down to Egypt. He went into the world. We hold, how we hold in the world? It's like you and I saying, let's go for a two-week rave in Ibiza and coming back with tons of money. <laughs> yeah? You know, oh, yeah, where did you go? Oh, I went up in a retreat in the mountains and I, I was praying and fasting. No, no, where did you go? I went to Ibiza. I, I was clubbing it, man. And I came back and I'm in with all these ravers. I, I didn't partake, but, you know, I'm sitting about with them. And, and, the, and I came back and there's, all of a sudden there's this money in my bank account. And, and there's a business. Amen. So Abraham went down to the worst place you could go. Are you sure you're going? Can you imagine the church elder? Abraham. <laughs> we can understand you going to the, the wilderness of... But, but you're going to Egypt. Think about it, folks. See, God isn't how we perceive him to be. Yeah. He's not religious. No. So we're a blessed people, folks, and the blessing of the Lord makes us rich. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22. The blessing of the Lord makes you rich, and he adds no sorrow with it, or toil adds nothing to it. In other words, it's not by striving, it's by blessing. Um, so I'd like to, in fact, this is just very quickly, because I want to close this off. 
Let's read Psalms 115. I was going to leave it, but these are good verses, so we'll read them. Psalms 115. And it says, verse 12, the, the Lord hath been mindful of us. He will bless us. I believe the Lord has been mindful of us today. Amen. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless them that fear the Lord. Do you want to be blessed? Then fear the Lord. Mm. Simple. Yeah. Both small and great. Amen. Amen. So, if you fear the Lord, I don't care if you're Elon Musk. God will bless you. The Lord shall increase you more and more, you and your children. Yeah. Ye are blessed of the Lord which made heaven and earth. The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth hath he given to the children of men. If you go and read Romans chapter 4, you'll see that God, this is how God blessed Abraham. He made him the heir of the world. Yes. Oh, we ought not love the world. Oh, and that's true. Because we don't love the world as it is. But it's still our inheritance. You might not like a lot, you know, like, for example, let's just say your, your daddy was a drug dealer. Yeah? Or a porn barn. And he died and left you all his wealth. Well, thank you, Jesus. It's not, I can't touch that. Just think of all the women that have been, you know, and think of all, think of all the lives uh, that have been... Ruined by drugs. I can't touch. That's blood money. No, it's not blood money. It's my money. It's, it's kingdom money. The minute it's handed over. Because the Bible says it's supposed to. The wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. So there won't be any more porn going on. There won't be any more drugs being going on. It'll be, this is gospel money now. Amen. Amen. So Abraham is the heir of the world. <coughs> Excuse me. And we're his seed. So we're inheritors. And yeah, right now it's a mess, but it can be redeemed. And it has, has been redeemed. Favour is what I want to touch very quickly next. Favour is having... So what is, what's the relation of favour to blessing? You can't walk in favour unless you've been blessed. Blessing is a condition, a state, a position, a legal position. You're blessed. And it's active, sure, but it's also... The Bible says you're blessed with every spiritual blessing... In heavenly places in Christ, which means all the blessings belong to you. They've just been kept in a place right now where thieves can't break through, where they can't be uh, attacked or eroded. They're in heaven, they're in the glory. But you can step them down into this dimension. Does that make sense? And favour is the vehicle. Favour is the, the oomph to it. Favour is having a supernatural advantage for a successful life. Favour is God saying, right, I empower you now to walk in it. I've given you it. It's up here in the, the glory realm. It's legally sorted out. Jesus established it. I, I made the deal with a guy called Abraham all that time ago. You can walk in it, but you're going to need, you're going to need favour. Okay? Favour is God uh, dealing with others so that they will give you favouritism, advantage. Does that make sense? Yes. Uh, like, you know, for example, you'll step in for a building that's asking a hundred grand, and someone will say, it's yours for a tenner. That's favour. That's happened. We know people that's happened to. Less than a tenner. Favour is divine empowerment to make the blessing of Abraham a manifest reality in your life. 
It's like a two-part thing. You know, it's that stuff you get, you know, there's epoxy glue or something. You need two parts to mix it together and then this. You need the blessing, yeah. but you also need to add favour to it. And then it's... Sorry for spatting you there, but it's anointed, it's anointed spit. <laughs> now, this is what Cam was talking about earlier, Genesis chapter 39. Because we talk about the land of Goshen, and the land of Goshen is a great, great subject. Because here's how it's relevant to us as remnant stage. It won't, won't be much longer, folks. But here's how it's relevant to us, because you could turn around and say right now, well, I want to live in the promised land. Okay? Uh, but we're not yet in the promised land. In other words, all the things that we're believing God for, and we, we long to come to see the glory, the revival, the harvest. That's the promised land. But so, what? How do we do? What do we do? Sorry, between now and then, well, we live in Goshen. The Israelites wanted the promised land, but for a season, when Babylon, in fact, it was Egypt, but it's the same same spirit was attacking them, persecuting them, bringing bondage on them. The Bible called Egypt the house of bondage, by the way. And they were bondmen in Egypt. In other words, they were slaves, they were under oppression. But you know what? There was a place God made called Goshen, where once they had got out of the matrix and crossed into Goshen, it's okay, yeah. This will do us for now. Yeah, because it was a place of comfort. It was a place of plenty. God blessed them there. Although they were waiting to get taken out of Egypt. We're waiting just now for Babylon to fall. So what do we do in the meantime? We live in Goshen. Goshen is the land of comfort, the land of plenty. It actually means to pour forth. We've just read that, haven't we? That we're supposed to uh, be, uh, it means to be inundated. We're inundated with blessing in Goshen. But we know that there's actually something even better still to come. Might be this year, might be next year. But we can still live in a place of blessing Amen. while we're waiting for the promised land of all that we believe, the culmination of the ages, the Elijah outpouring, all of it, the fall of Babylon, Isaiah 60, all of it, the glory. Genesis 39, verses 1. And it's this guy, because of this guy, that Goshen was, was created, in other words, the, the, the haven of Goshen. It was a land, it was a territory within Egypt. Joseph had been taken down to Egypt as a slave. Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. Well, that's terrible, the guy's a slave. But look what it says, the Lord was with Joseph. So he's okay. As long as the Lord's with you, it doesn't matter where you are. And he was a successful man. You can be successful in the system. You can be successful in the matrix, but you can unplug from the matrix and live in Goshen. You notice how the, the, the matrix films use all the, 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 the Bible terms, Zion and all, anyway. The Lord was with Joseph, he was a successful man. He was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. He's a success even though he has an Egyptian master. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight. Okay, God gave Joseph favor with his Egyptian master. Why? Because the Lord was with Joseph, 
And his master saw, if I keep this guy in my house, that means I've got somebody blessed of the Lord in my house. Exactly. And he would be blessed too. See, they're not, these Egyptian guys aren't that dumb. Success, folks, is a result, not of really of what you do, and not really of what you have, but success is a result of who you have. Joseph had the Lord. Joseph found favour because the Lord was with him. Joseph had favour that took him through trials and setbacks. Because after this, the master's wife thought Joseph was fit and decided to make moves. And he knocked her back and he ended up in prison. So he's been a slave. He's been, you know, running a household, meeting all the dignitaries, learning how Egypt works. See, the Lord knows what he's doing. And then he ends up in prison. But the Lord took him from prison to being prime minister of the world superpower of the time and in one meeting with Pharaoh. Imagine getting called down to see Queen Elizabeth tonight, me, and saying, I hear you preaching wonderful stuff up there. Um, I'm just going to make a phone call. Boris, you're out. Bill McMurdo's in. Amen. But, But Joseph was in prison when this happened. For attempted rape. Imagine that. Imagine saying, there's a guy in prison in Berlin right now, he's in for attempted rape. Uh, but you know, God's called him to leave Britain. <laughs> Amen. And look what God did for this guy. So, anyway, the point is this, is that Joseph, because the Lord was with Joseph, and Joseph had favour, God catapulted him into that position. Now, just a couple of scriptures, folks, to close this off. If we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and again, because the Bible's full of favour, grace, unmerited favour, all these things, and it manifests in all parts of our lives. Don't get me wrong. Uh, It manifests in relationships, it manifests. But I want us to look at really how it works with the blessing of Abraham, and if we look at it from a financial point of view, because that's a massive part of it, isn't it, the favour of God? And in fact, the Bible makes that distinction and that emphasis, not me. So very quickly, just to finish this, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9 says, You know the grace or the favour, because grace is that Greek word charis or charis, which means unmerited favour. It's closely related to the Greek word for joy. Unmerited, you know the unmerited favour. Of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich. Yet through his poverty. You might be rich. Again the divine exchange. That's what we're talking about. Jesus has made a curse so that we could be blessed. Jesus became poor on the cross. Because the Roman form of crucifixion. We misunderstand it. We think it was a capital. uh, Which is a capital punishment. We think that that's how the Romans killed people. The Romans had far more efficient ways of killing people. Okay, they had swords. Mm-hmm. All you had to do was slit your throat. Mm-hmm. Building a wooden cross, carrying it through the streets, hanging some guy in it, having it hang around, all that, in case somebody pulled him down. That wasn't efficient, and the Romans were the most efficient people probably in history up to that point. So why did they crucify people? Because it wasn't a capital punishment, it was an economic punishment. And as we see pictures of Jesus or we watch 
the passion and all these things. We see Jesus hanging by, with a loincloth to protect his modesty. The whole point of being crucified was that they were crucified naked. To show people, we will strip you of everything. We will utterly impoverish you. And, and it was a warning to their families, it was a warning to their friends, it was a warning to the whole community. Rise up against Rome and they'll strip you of everything. That's Antichrist spirit, folks. You'll own nothing and be happy. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the spirit that crucified Jesus. And the only person I've ever known to, to draw a picture of Christ on the cross naked is him. And he saw it in the spirit. So Jesus wasn't, didn't have a nice wee loincloth. He was crucified naked. As crucifixion victims were. Because it was a message. You'll be left with nothing. will strip you of everything. Yeah. Uh, including their dignity. But really it was. So the Romans crucified people. For, for not to kill them. As a capital punishment. But to send a message. And of course what Jesus had a cross on either side, a thief, sorry, on either side, because thieves, thieves, even, thieves, thieves, they had to take that punishment too, because they were stealing other people's possessions. So that, so crucifixion uh, was a message, it wasn't a method. That's what we need to understand. So, when Jesus was made destitute utterly on the cross without any form of clothing or any possessions, that's why he said to John, John, she, that's your mother now, because he had nothing to give. He was made poor. And any Jewish man would have made provision for his mother. So Jesus was sending a message in. I've been made utterly poor here. Now I believe Jesus made provision for his mother before the cross. But, it was, but, but on the cross, it was that message of, I've been made poor here. For a reason. I've been made a curse. For a reason. I've taken the punishment of sin for a reason. I've been wounded for a reason. I've taken shame for a reason. I've had death. I've allowed death to come upon me for a reason. So that the opposite of all of these things might come on you in the divine exchange. Amen. And notice it says it's a favour. The favour of the Lord. He did you and I a favour. Because if he hadn't done that, you and I would still be in a sorry condition. Anyway, I need to rush this, folks. How does this favour function? And this is, this is where we'll go with this very quickly. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8. The favour of God is active. 9, yeah, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. I'm going to read this from the NIV because uh, I'll read it from the New King and then, and then the NIV. God is able to make all grace abound towards you. God is able to make all favour abound towards you. That means it's active. That you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work or may abound to every good work. The NIV says God is able to bless you abundantly or generously provide all you need so that in all things at all times having all that you need you will abound in every good work. The favour of God makes all favour abound towards us. Or you'll bless it abundantly. Notice something. It's always. There's no boom and bust in God's economy. It's always. At all times. 
in all things. Always having all sufficiency. Always all, all, all. Perpetual, pouring, pouring forth. That is the principal meaning of Goshen. Pouring forth. Favour should be a constant, folks, in our lives. And here's the other thing. And you say, well, that's great. God's going to make me rich. I can't wait for my big mansion. I'm just going to pick and we're going to have a... What kind of car? Right? A brand new Discovery. Oh, what about a Bentley? Oh, Bentley. I like Bentleys. Oh, what a Tesla. Or as my, my pal recently bought a Maserati. Watch this. Having all that you need, you will abound for every good work. It ain't just for you. It's so that you abound to others who need it. So that you become their source. So that you become a blessing to them. So that the Abrahamic blessing functions all the way through to the end, which is that you become a blessing to every family. Every good work. Everything, you know, so that you give to every good church, every good ministry, every good work. Favour will make you abound toward others. Favour, folks, is for overflow. It's not for you to keep. You can enjoy it, you can, you can, you can buy your, your nice car. You can wear nice clothes, you're supposed to. You're, you're representing the king. That's right. You don't walk about in, you know, six-year-old, six uh, what do you call them, tracksuit bottoms. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Or, or there's nothing wrong with Primark, but you don't shop at Primark all the time. Amen. You can go to Poundland as well. You understand? He's saying you can enjoy it because you represent the king. You're a king. You're a king priest. But it's really for others. If you've got a heart for others, you can have as much as you want. Because it's a blessing. And it's for overflow. It's for pouring forth. And that's that. You know why we're not in the promised land right now? And I'm just closing my eyes. Because we need to learn these things in Goshen. They didn't learn them in Goshen. And that's why they messed up in the wilderness. If you can learn to pour forth now, mm-hmm. pour, for, pour forth now. Mm-hmm. If you can learn the principles now, I'm blessed to be a blessing now. Yeah. Then you'll come out of Goshen, which is a wonderful place, but you'll end up in Canaan land. Yeah. Right. Favour verse 10. Watch this. This one final wee nugget I want to give you. Uh, because this is so important, and I teach this in Bible college too. Here's what it says in the King James. Now, he that, verse 10, he that ministers seed to the sower, ministers bread for your food, and multiplies your seed sown. Okay? So God will multiply the seed that you have sown. Okay. Now, he does that for every farmer. You're, you're, there's nothing special about it. That's the point. Every farmer knows that. Every farmer walks in it. Farmer takes a handful of seed, and at harvest time he has multiples of that seed growing in the plants. And you know God will do that for the biggest wretch, biggest sinner, biggest bam, if you want to say, of a farmer, as much as he'll do it for every Christian farmer. So where's the advantage? Where's the favour? It's the NIV in most translations. That's the King James I read. But look what the NIV says. This is the difference. This is the advantage. And we'll close with this. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase 
gör stor av sid. Or some translations say he will multiply your seed for sowing. Now that's the supernatural, because what is he saying here in the NIV and other versions? Most versions actually have this. If you, he will multiply your seed before you sow it. Does that make sense? Now that's supernatural. Because you can say, well, it's in the earth, a lot of seed time harvest, you sow something, it comes, it happens with money, doesn't it? You sow money and you, know, you, give, you give, say, a grand to somebody's business and they come back three years later, here's five grand, thank you, for your investment. It happens all the time. But imagine having a thousand pound of seed to give to somebody and you wake up the next morning and it's ten thousand pounds supernaturally. I have seen God multiply money. Miraculously. I've seen it happen. Okay, and I'm not talking about oh, I sowed somebody gave me. I've had that. That's wonderful. Listen, I, I sowed into a ministry £1.36. It's all I had on me. It's all I had on me. And I gave that one thirty-six. And I said, Lord, I'm believing for a thousandfold. I need, I need a thousandfold. That night, someone shut my door and handed me a thousand pounds. And then the other three... The other 36 pence came back within three days. Multiplied a thousandfold, 361 pounds. More than that, in fact. That's wonderful. But that's not, but he's not talking about that. He's talking about saying, you've only got 136, boom! Now you've got a thousand pound. They sow. Right? And that, I, I, see, it's multiplying what you have before you sow it. Now, not a lot of people have walked in that. <laughs> okay? Not a lot, in other words, manifesting out of apparently nowhere. Now, some of Bill, jo- Bill Johnson's people walked in stuff like that. Yep. I've not heard them talk about it anymore, but back in the kind of early days when he was first getting famous, there was one guy who used to wake up with a diamond in his bed every morning. Yes. <laughs> Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Aye. And a woman did it with a camera. Yep. She'd left it somewhere across the sea and she says, I want it back, and it appeared in her bed right next to her. Yep. So, you know, oh, oh that sounds like witchcraft. No, no. It sounds like glory. Amen. Amen. But you know, the sad thing is witches can do stuff like that. Yeah. But we're going to walk as the remnant. And these things, God will multiply your seed for sure. I prefer that translation because that's the supernatural advantage. That's where God says, oh, see that uh, uh, drug dealer down the road? He's got a thousand pound invest as well. So he'll get the same return as you. But what if I just give you 10 grand to invest? And then you'll have more than him. That's how it works. And that's how the wealth of the wicked will be transferred. Anyway, folks, sorry. Um, I've maybe went on a wee bit. Long, just over an hour, but uh, over an hour of glory. Only an hour and a half to go. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord.